Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. Today we're talking about smaller companies and the AIM market and we have on the program today Ivan Sedgwick who is the investment director at LGB and Company which is a leading uh, city capital markets and investment boutique. Welcome to the show Ivan. Yeah, LGB tries to help small companies grow. We do that in a couple of ways. We work with high net worth individuals, family offices and similar, providing funding for small companies, largely on AIM and quite often where there's an EIS element to a fundraise. My job um, as investment director is to uh, kick the tyres on things we get shown by the the brokers and try and dig out some things for ourselves. Um, We do a bit of um, investing in unquoted companies, not a great deal because the due diligence requirements are very high and the maintenance um, can be quite tricky. The other part of our business, and we're unusual in this space, is that we also provide debt funding to small companies, including some main companies, um, but also unlisted companies, and try and help in that space where the banks are not present, but where the alternative funders can be very expensive. So we have um, what are called MTN, medium-term note programs, which is technique derived from large company funding which we use for for smaller companies and and today we're going to be talking um about uh smaller companies there's certainly something we do a lot of work on here on the armchair trader it's it's an area of the market that we've still seen getting a lot of interest from investors um including um you know during the depths of the pandemic where we saw some some very big moves from some AIM listed stocks. What's your what's been your impression of the performance of the AIM market during the pandemic and and also now as we're we're emerging from it? I think during the pandemic it was extremely encouraging. I mean, if you take a longer term view, one of the concerns about AIM has been the decreasing number of institutions involved in that market, and that probably reached a, a low point around the, um, the the Woodford problems. But um, institutions do seem to be coming back. But at the same time, during the pandemic, we also saw a real resurgence in retail investor interest. And we saw a lot of confidence when companies came to the market and said, right, we need some help to get through this. And the investors said, yeah, you know, we we still like the long term story. um, And yeah, we think we ought to we ought to give you that money. So a lot of money was raised in 2020, really to help, essentially to help companies get through. And then since then, um, where the stories are intact, um, to, to help them grow. So the market has been working properly as a sort of place for allocating, allocating capital, which is good. There are still too few institutions involved, but you know, these things take a while to, to change. And in terms of IPOs, we've obviously seen quite a few coming onto the market. How do you see the market for IPOs at the moment, both um, or particularly for companies that, that might be looking to go public in the near future um, and also sort of looking ahead um, into 2022 as well? The market seems to be quite good. I think we have to put this in perspective. Um, people agonise about companies going to, to NASDAQ. And the Nasdaq IPO market is just so, so much larger than, than well, say, to AIM. I mean, I think uh, first half of this year, something like over $100 billion was raised on, um, on Nasdaq um, for IPOs, not for secondaries, just for IPOs. Um, and um, that compares with, uh, with about a billion 
um, for the first eight months for for AIM. So it's a, it's a different it's a different scale. the The market does seem to be good. It's very much supported by um, the venture capital trusts, and it's interesting. Again, if you make the comparisons, the US doesn't require that sort of tax um, break to uh, to have a thriving market, and we do seem to. And the problem there is that the VCTs are great um, uh, for, for getting deals off the ground, but almost by definition they're not there in the secondary market because there's no, there's no tax break for them. The, the scale of the deals, I think the average, the average size of an AIM deal this year was, was only about, or the average raise was only about 20 million sterling, um, which are pretty small, which means the amount of fees aren't that great, which means they tend to be done by a single broker, which means the sort of the outreach isn't that great. What we are seeing, which is good, and I think is good for the health of the market, is um, the big investment platforms are sometimes getting involved, but it tends to be on fund launches rather than on individual company launches. And you're also seeing a little bit of activity from um, from primary bid, which seems at the moment to have pretty much a, a, a monopoly. But I think you know there are still some there are still some defects to the market, and I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the Hill Review um, necessarily changes that. Um, that um, uh, yeah, the evidence, the evidence of the last year or so, is that there's a lot of retail interest out there, but it's not made terribly easy for retail investors to get involved in IPOs. You, you mentioned investment platforms getting involved, and you've mentioned primary bid. Um, can you give us an example of other um, investment platforms that are active in the space? You occasionally see, well, I mean, I can think of, I mean, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, retail brokers like like Redmain, um, Bentley will occasionally show their their investors um, uh, deals, but it's it's not taken for granted, and I think a lot of the brokers who are active on AIM are rather suspicious of doing that. They just see this as sort of, you know, their fees disappearing out the door rather than seeing it as a way of, of expanding scope. You've mentioned the, the Lord Hill review. Um, can you give us a little bit more sort of background on what that's proposing and, and how you think that's going to affect um, the, the, or potentially could affect the smaller companies uh, market in the UK and also um, the listing of cash shells? I know you've, you've, you've mentioned NASDAQ and, and the worries about whether companies will go and list in the US rather than the UK. Um, can you just give us a quick summary of that and, and how you think that you know, potentially could put some, some more momentum into this market? Yeah, I don't, don't think I'm, I can give you a full review of the Lord, Lord no. Hill report. Um, I think the, Lord, the, the Hill report is something of what journalists refer to as a reverse ferret on the part of the authorities um, in that the FCA... Um, when we were part of the EU, were the absolute zealots in terms of um, of increasing regulation. So it's interesting um, to see an attempt to roll back parts of it. Um, but I'm not sure it really, again, from our end of the market, I'm not sure it really tackles some of the deficiencies. If you look at the US, the rules for IPOs are essentially the same information has to be made public and available to everybody at the same time. Here we still have this frankly absurd situation where in order to protect the widows and orphans they're not allowed to see that these wicked new issues but on the first day they're trading in the secondary market there's nothing stopping them trading in them I and mean, this makes no sense and I, I can't see that the, the Hill report changes that. Um, the SPACs are 
interesting, and there was actually an FT article today um, pointing out that we, we seem to have gone past the, the peak of the boom in the US and that a lot of money is being pulled back out of them. I've never really seen the argument for them. It's possible for entrepreneurs with a good track record in the UK to use cash shells anyway, I and mean, that's how Martin Sorrell got S4 listed. It's how um, David Montgomery, Monty, got his National World listed and took over the old Johnson Press assets. And John Browett is, um, is um, bringing an interesting internet retailing business to market at some stage. And again, that's using a cash shell. So I, I think, you know, where, where you do have an entrepreneur with a real, really strong market, there is a vehicle within the UK to do that already. This whole idea of, um, of setting up in sort of South Sea bubble style a company for purposes we know not what, with a large pool of money, uh, and seems to me, frankly, hazardous. Um, and um, yes, of course, it generates enormous fees for the for the bankers, so why wouldn't they want to do it? And it generates listing fees for the exchange, so why wouldn't they want to do it? But you know, this is this is just a money go round, really. Surely, the Hill report does propose making this a bit easier, um, but whether. Whether this is really a worthwhile or important part of it, I, I question. Do you think there's, any, there's more that could be done to make the London market more competitive than it, than it is at the moment? Relative to the European markets, which I spent a lot of my career looking at, I think it's already pretty effective and pretty competitive and, and reasonably well regulated. The great difference with the US, um, where regulation is, is, is not in all ways easier in some ways it can be harder and the you know the sec is a, is a very onerous regulator the great difference is the scale of the pools of capital and the experience of those pools what's nice is you're seeing some of those funds actually starting to, to fish in our pool as well which is good you're seeing the american so-called crossover funds who um, invest in invest in the u.s in unlisted um, securities and help bring them to market actually coming to AIM and investing in AIM because as far as they're concerned, the companies are so small, it's almost like investing in, in unlisted companies themselves. Um, but um, the, the key differentiator is the, is the, scale, of the, the scale of the investors. And that's the, the advantage that London has over any of the European markets um, and the disadvantage it has to the US. Speaking of um, a particular sector in this case, technology stocks um, have been one of the real hot areas for investors, certainly in the first half of this year. The UK has always touted itself as a little bit of a, a hub for tech, um, certainly in the European context. Do you? How do you see the tech IPO market? Uh, this is, it's an area that a lot of our readers are very interested in. And do, do you think that they can expect to see a pipeline of more listings coming from that area? Yes, I think we can, and we are seeing them, but it takes a while to get a tech company, not necessarily a software company, a hard tech company, it takes a while really to to get it market ready, and the danger is that things are brought to the companies are brought to the market before they're, they're really ready for it. So yeah, I'm sure we'll see more, but you can't conjure them out of thin air, Um, you know, despite the lack of, of big engineering companies in the UK. There's still a lot of specialist engineering expertise um, and you know, companies coming to the market out of, out of that. I would say that the UK healthcare sector is probably more fertile 
um, and more interesting. And if you look also at you know, the ones that get away and the ones that haven't, I mean, the Oxford Nanopore IPO um, is, you know, they're talking about that being a, what, you know, three and a half, four billion sterling company by the time it comes to the market. On the other hand, another Oxford company, Excientia, um, which looks as if it could be a two and a half billion dollar company, is doing its raise in um, on Nasdaq um, with Gates Foundation and and um, SoftBank support. So you know we're keeping some, we're losing we're losing others. When you say healthcare, I mean there's not uh, sorry, yeah, help by healthcare, I mean life science. Um, and then and then there's the other area w- which we see a lot of interest in is obviously the the mining and natural resources stocks. There are a lot of these on AIM. Um, some have a lot of followers um, in the investor community. I know that, uh, for example, gold mining hasn't done so well this year as the gold price has gone down. What do you, what, what do you see as the, the prospects for the, the small cap mining area at the moment? And also, you know, further afield, other natural resources, stocks like oil and gas. I wouldn't claim to be a expert at all on the natural resources sector, but a few observations. Um, one is that um, rare metals, uh, mining stocks and refining stocks, I think will continue to be to be interesting. And that's uh, an offshoot of the green agenda. Gold, if the um, if the bears on inflation like uh, like Jonathan Ruffer are right, will, will have their time in the sun. I think there's going to be a real problem for the for the oil and gas exploration companies. Uh, the backwash of the um, you know, the legal attacks and the whole um, ESG uh, movement on the big oil, which after all hasn't really responded to the spike up in in gas, is I think going to make it harder um, for companies in the energy sector to raise money possible that we'll end up with a lot of these smaller companies being taken private because after all private equity firms don't have the uh, don't have the same oversight and don't necessarily have the same the same constraints and maybe won't have the same conscience but um, I, I think that's I think that's got to be a worry that's got to be a risk that you take on it's a political risk for investors um, that the operating environment for these companies get hard, gets harder and harder, that banks are discouraged from lending to them, um, and that um, however glorious the resource base that they're um, supposed to be exploiting, um, that the money disappears into litigation and, um, and higher taxation. <laughs> That's a very... Uh... Very gloomy, uh, gloomy perspective. Well, I, you know, I'm just trying to think about how it might play out. I may be, I may be completely wrong, but um, um, but uh, you know, when companies like Royal Dutch Shell are being taken to court successfully um, in the Netherlands um, and really having to adjust heavily, it seems unlikely that smaller companies are going to be able to to dodge dodge the bullets indefinitely. Mm-hmm. No, maybe I'm wrong. I say I don't claim any great expertise. I mean, on the other side of the spectrum, um, we're seeing a lot of, I mean, I keep saying this, but uh, you, know, you can see which uh, areas of the market are doing well in terms of um, investor buying activity. And certainly uh, the green energy space is still attracting a huge amount of capital, huge amount of interest, both from retail investors and from institutional investors. UK, again, in a position seen as a, as a bit of a market leader, industry leader, 
do you think that's that's something we'll see a lot more um, IPOs and activity in um, over the next six to twelve months? I hope so. I mean, the UK's already got three quite significant um, fuel cell companies um, quoted on on AIM, um, and there aren't an enormous number of those dotted around the world, and they, they're attracting those companies are attracting, interestingly, investment from corporates, from industrial partners um, who see the attractions of of, of that technology. You know, we've seen energy storage companies come to the market. Um, there's some interesting developments in battery technology, um, which I think are sort of pre-market level at the moment, but alternatives to to the lithium batteries, which are which are emerging. And um, uh, I've got a meeting tomorrow, so I'm going pre-market with a, a sodium battery company. So, yeah, there's certainly there's very good technology um, coming out of uh, out of the UK universities on the science side and then there's also the whole sort of infrastructure part of that the um, improving the grid but particularly improving improving energy storage um, regenerative energy systems and hopefully this will be an area where where UK science doesn't end up getting developed overseas and actually gets developed here so yeah strong domestic investment story yeah yeah. Well, as I say, it's the exploitation of, of the technology. I mean, the, the, the UK isn't a big enough economy to be the, the driving market for, for the end product, but it can be a useful market and a market that you can try things out. Um, but actually, you know, the money is there to bring the science um, into production. And the market has been a little bit quiet in July and August. I mean, we saw, you know, it wasn't like last summer, summer 2020, where Obviously, the, 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 there was a lot of uh, activity. A lot of people were still working from home. Nobody was going on holiday. Um, our impression has been in July and August um, that, that the small cap market was quite quiet. And, and as ever with this market, that translates into some, some companies losing a little bit of value just because the activity is not there and the, the pricing is not there. Um, what's your what's your impression of of the the last couple of months in in the market, and uh, do you anticipate that picking up now? Um, well, both AIM and the FTSE hundred actually hit their highs for the year, which they've sort of got back to in May. Um, so things had already started being a bit feeble, although the two fifty continued to continue to move on up. I think it was partly. Um, People coming out of their houses and away from their computer screens and actually doing other stuff. Um, it's been a bit of work in the US on the, this whole concept of uh, of investing as displaced gambling <laughs> when the sports markets were shut. There's probably a bit of psychological truth in that. I think that's one part of it. But also remember there were a few jitters over the summer, and not so much here. But you know there were jitters in various places, particularly the US, which has still has quite a sentiment thing on the um, on Delta variant. And, you know, were we really through the pandemic or not? Um, There were jitters about inflation. And that certainly, again, probably had an effect more on the bigger market than on the smaller market. But um, um, (laughs) certainly, certainly the inflation, um, the inflation bears um, have have plenty of uh, plenty of fuel for their argument um, now. Um, And. You know, just the, the general you know, pricing increases and logistics problems, which are by no means only a UK problem. Uh, was a record number of ships moored off Long Beach in California um, waiting to get a berth. I mean, this is a, a, a problem 
in all sorts of places, um, although we do seem to have particularly bad aspects of it. Um, so, you know, the realisation that just because we're emerging from the pandemic, touch wood, um, doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that the economy's full, full speed ahead. So I, I, I think that's certainly, certainly a significant part of, of the slowdown. And I wouldn't have thought we emerged from that holding pattern until we get some signs of the, of the logistics problems easing up, of a uh, bit more visibility on whether the pricing increases are, are sticking or not. And I think what was it? US lumber prices went up fourfold in the spring and they came down, I think, 40%. You know, it was a suggestion that there. I've talked to some companies involved in the um, trading, the semiconductors, buyers of semiconductors, saying, "Well, yeah, we knew it was going to happen. Well, of course they did, um, and we pre- prepared ourselves. Um, but um, you know, we think we think by the beginning of next year it should have ironed its way out of the system. So there's a. I've talked to people in the hospitality industry who say, "Yeah, people are coming back to the UK to work." But it won't really rebalance until after Christmas because we have such a massive backlog of people trying to trying to organise functions. And I think against that that background, I I, I think the market will struggle to go up a lot. I, I, I think you know it's down to it's going to be down to individual interesting individual stories rather than just being able to ride a wave. And and just just finally, the, you mentioned inflation. It's it's been. Certainly in the last couple of weeks, it's been one of the big areas of concern and we're getting different narratives depending on on who you speak to. Central banks obviously trying to talk it down. Do you think that that's a real real threat to asset price valuations or or is it it, um, more of a blip and the moment people start raising interest rates, we'll see that the wind come out of the inflation sales. Well, I suppose one of the interesting things is that, you know, we've had a whole new paradigm as to how interest rates are set over the last few years. How long does that continue? And if inflation does come back, do the central banks just say, well, you know, tough, we're still not putting rates up because the economy is not, um, not, not strong enough. Um, you know, it, it, it does feel as if there is some rebalancing in favour of labour and away from capital, and logically that's got to have an effect on the returns on capital. Well, that's you know, me pretending to be an economist. But um, if people are going to get paid more, yeah, that's going to affect consumers, but it's going to affect shareholders as uh, as well. Again, if you're if you're looking in tech or life science companies where there's a you know, sort of a big payoff at the end, and we where you know, labour costs aren't particularly important to you maybe that doesn't matter it does matter in that with companies where the return is a long way in the future the discount rate that you apply to them is significant to the valuation and if interest rates go up then that discount rate changes but um, there's a lot, we're a long way from that yet and you know, interest rates would have to go up a hell of a way before we uh, before we got back to the sort of levels i remember when i was a nipper <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, hopefully they don't they don't um, spiral too far out of control. Indeed, touch wood yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much indeed, Ivan, for for uh, coming on the podcast and for giving us a little bit more uh, colour around the the small caps market. I really appreciate that. Right. Thank you very much, Stuart. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.